And welcome to this episode of 1202, the Human Factors Podcast, with me, your host, Barry Kirby. This episode is going to be a bit different in that we are going to be a bit reflective and look back over 2021 and, the re- and review basically what the podcast has been up to in the past, well, 12 months and also a little bit beyond. This has been an eventful year for the podcast. We've put out 17 episodes, including this one, out of a plan 24. So we've also had been awarded certificates, or rather a certificate anyway, where we were highly commended by the CIHF in their annual awards at the Outstanding Communications Award uh, of 2021. We've also seen seen us high-ranking in lists of ergonomics in Human Factors podcast charts. But it's been a year of change, too. We've seriously stepped up our game, or at least I think we have, uh, with bits that you've hopefully noticed, including the new logo, artwork, new audio, um, that's the, the intros, the outros, and, and the, uh, the bits in between, as well as our website at 1202podcast.com. And even more recently, um, hopefully if you're watching this today, our YouTube channel. We're trying to make the content more accessible to more people, and hopefully this will keep evolving through 2022. But in the background, we've also been changing things too. So we've been buying better equipment and also improving our processes in the hope of providing higher quality content that's easier to listen to and to watch. Unfortunately, the quality of me is the one one, uh, constant, so you just have to put up with that anyway. We've also been trying to make the content more relevant and engaging with a mixture of interviews and topics, and we aim to keep on looking at uh, getting making that better, or at least more interest uh, more interesting ways to engage. So next year we'll be looking at reaching out to different platforms. And if you know of somebody who we think you think we should be interviewing, or you would like to be interviewed yourself on something that's uh, relevant to us, and um, then drop me a line, give me a shout, and we'd be delighted to have you on board. Finally, we've been developing some merch including um, hoodies and t-shirts, and you've heard me go on about this in the past few episodes. We think we found a way of selling them now, so keep your eyes on our social media outlets or the website, and you'll be able to buy with your heart's content. Speaking of which, one of the things that I put out there was what to call our new mascot, the dragon, who you can hopefully see, wrong shoulder, that shoulder over there. Um, not so useful to those of you just listening, but on, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see over my, uh, my shoulder we've got uh, the dragon. And we asked what, uh, what, pe- what it should be called, and loads of people who contributed and came up with a huge variety of names. We've taken them all on board, and really there's one that came around just see, just seemed to really work, and and that was Huff, and oh, which is clearly HF. So, or, or to give him his, or to give them their full title, um, Huff the Ergonomic Dragon. So um, you'll be able to, if you want your own um, Huff, then you should be able to be, uh, be able to buy him at some point soon. Um, again, keep your eyes peeled. So, on to today's Christmas episode. I hope this is going to set a bit of an annual trend, assuming that we are still uh, podcasting next year, but we've been going for two years now, and I can't see why why next year will be any different. Uh, But to kick things off, I thought we could review all of our work to date. And to be fair, it also makes my statistics a little bit easier. Therefore, we're going to reflect on some of the podcast stats and also choose our top five episodes and reflect on why that is the case. I keep on saying we, so I should really introduce today's guest. I've been joined by a great friend and someone who's been on a previous episode, but not on his own yet. So um, he hasn't had that full uh, pleasure of the getting to know you treatment. Therefore, it's a delight to welcome the Managing Director of Vindico, uh, Joe Polson. Thanks very much. Uh, welcome, Joe. How are you? 
Very good, thank you. Really nice. I just, just can't help but um, think of the slight irony that uh, I'm here on an HF podcast in a wonky chair. Yes, it's this is a, a new way of doing things for us because Joe is actually sat in the same room as me and we've never done this with video at the same time in all this way. So who knows, A, what technical gremlins are going to be, uh, be thrown up and no doubt you'll see that from how much editing I have to do. Um, but the yes, there is a whole lot of irony that the chair I've given him, um, which is actually is, a, is Amanda's chair, doesn't actually work very well, and clearly we need to get another one. But that aside, if you see Joe comically fall off the back of his chair, then clearly that's that's just added value. I mean, um, that, that uh, we don't pay these people, so um, we've got to get the company out there somewhere. Um, Joe, obviously you've been on um, on a previous episode, and the, that was the episode on Think Air uh, with uh, Pro- uh, Professor Paul Lewis. And there you told us a bit about your um, what we're doing around th- like air quality and things like that. But that isn't the only thing you do. So before we get stuck into your t- uh, what you think of the actual podcast itself, um, can you tell us a bit about you? So what is your current role? What is it you actually do for a day job? Well, I have a brilliant job because I just get to talk about awesome things that the team at Vindico do and produce. So uh, we've got a really skilled team of a good, a brilliant R&D department and a really good team of developers. So generally we're problem solvers um, that always relies on technology to fix the problems but a lot of the time can be processed as well and, and obviously we're learning a bit more about HF as we go uh, but I, I sit in a business we talk about the problems the processes the opportunities uh, we go back we brainstorm them and you know yourself you've been in some of those yourself and helped us out uh, pull it apart go back with the with the, the, low, the low hanging fruit how they can the r- more analogies like rubber hitting the road early everything <laughs> we can do that that wonderful management consultancy talk and, and actually have an impact on a business within a quarter and that's really what we aim to do as much as we might have two year plans and we go and impact within a quarter get a good relationship going um, show we know what we're talking about uh, deliver on that and more often than not then it does always lead to software development um, web app development it, it does go down that route but we really make sure the foundation is right first cool so before we met, um, so we've been working together now for about two years. Um, you never really, you didn't really, you hadn't really heard of the term human factors or anything like that. So I kind of threw you in at the, the deep end with that to a certain extent. But it kind of, to, once we got talking and, and engaging, I think in reality you have been doing human factors in your, in you know, it, just by other means for for actually quite a long time. So what is your what what are your thoughts now around human factors and and your engaging with it? Well, I think I need a T-shirt that says we're so HF and we don't know it. That's a genius one. In fact, let me quickly copyright yeah, that and then come to merch near yeah, you. So HF, don't even know it. I can hear the song <laughs> in my head, but that, but that's absolutely right. I mean, obviously, we were all about that consideration, if you like, between um, technology effect on technology effect on processes and the person, because the easier something is to use, the more likely to either use it. And, you know, with, with my commercial head on, the more likely I had to pay for it and pay for it next year and, and ongoing. And we've and that kind of efficiency, we kind of called it, productivity, efficiency, resilience. Um, we obviously now have to add sustainability to that as well, but we didn't realise that there was like a, an entire um, stream associated with that. Ergonomics to me was a, a, a wonky chair, a <laughs> funny shaped bendy keyboard. Yeah. You know, that's kind of where it stopped. But of course, it, in talking to yourself, it just made a lot of sense. I could see the similarities. I could see where obviously where we stopped and where you continued on. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a graphic you may be able to share or and, and put into this afterwards where you were actually <laughs> telling me the difference between the UI and the UX and and where projects sit and um, and and that's explained it perfectly to me. And I got it and I could see the value. Um, particularly I could see the value that you would add to our clients more in the commercial sector mm-hmm. but equally I saw the value that we could add in terms of usability, fun <laughs> yeah. simple onboarding in the, in the, in the for defence and public sector as well 
And that's been a really cool thing over the, certainly the past two years, we've been working on quite a, um, a major project that has, I think, really glued them things uh, together quite well. It's certainly been um, an education for me, um, learning about, because, you know, I've been in the defence sector now for, well, best part of 20 years. So to see how we can apply it more so in that commercial sector and realise, oh, actually, there is other stuff out there we can um, we can do this too. It isn't just um, into, into pointy sharp things. So that's been really cool. The... Other thing that um, you've educated me about as well is is NFL, and so you both see, see us both sat here, um, Uni Cowboys top, and, and my brand new shiny um, LA Rams top, um, and so um, and you can't tell me the 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 result of the uh, the Rams game that was on Monday night though. I know that I know that we won, um, but it's it's been one of these things as well that I think it's it's um, been a, a very educational experience knowing you so far, so which is That's quite fun. cool. Um, so. 2021, and obviously we've talked a lot about the past couple of years, but 2021 has been quite an eventful one for you, for you really. Uh, do you want to give us a quick recap of sort of, or rundown of the of the highlights of your of your 2021 year? Well, I think just to briefly touch on 2020, because obviously that's when the world went a bit odd. But um, in, in 2020, we, we kind of spent the year planting seeds, if you like, and, and you know, new relationships, um, new ideas. Uh, 2021 has definitely been the year when they've become things. Um, and and they've grown arms and legs and yep. they've gone off on their own. So I think um, a, a good example of that would be in rail and transport, where we delivered a, a simple system to allow safe access often on depots. That's now grown to full contractor management, going to be used in every station in Wales. Um, we're already talking to four other train operators in England. and uh, So that in transport is something we never thought about getting involved in a few years previously. Uh, we've had similar growths in sport where solutions we've created have now gone across the border into England, used in sport, uh, starting conversations with um, larger governing sport bodies as well, um, and all kind of around the same thing, and it's uh, very HF actually, and making it simpler and better, Yeah. Uh, which we, we try to keep the talk about it as simple as possible. But in almost everything that we've created in 2020, it's basically 21 has been the extension of that, um, more in-depth conversations, kind of blown the doors off because like when, when I was talking a wee bit earlier on about how we, we have those that impact within three months you know uh, well we're now in a lot of those projects we're in year two so you know so it really is a case of the relationships formed we understand the business uh, and, and that learning we can take then to put even more into those first three months and new clients we've gained in 2021 and yeah. we're seeing that, that that kind of ramp where we were taking six to nine months to have big impact on a company is now happening in three to four months but of course that puts the stress back on resources as well yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, we've grown a little bit in the last few years. I think we've a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> we've doubled in size in a, in less than two years. So I was going to say, just for those of you, those people who are listening, um, we do actually share offices together as well. And the idea was that we we moved into this office and there was bags of room all around. And then, um, I mean, we've we've grown a little bit, uh, but yeah, you've you've managed to exponentially grow really, really rapidly. And everyone's busy. It's not like you've just taken on staff just to just to take on more staff and look busy. Everyone is flat out all of the time. So clearly, there is there is more of that growing to do. Well, we just had our Christmas. I couldn't believe twenty five people sitting around the table at the Christmas do. You know, and there was a few missing. It was. Yeah, no, it was. I opened that one. I never think to myself, it didn't because the last few years have been blurs. I can quite easily remember the beginning of the last two Christmas days. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yes. And, um, but yeah, it's like, well, we've got a lot of people now. You know, yeah, who pays them? You know, it's like, and it's. But I think what you've done um, has been really, really interesting because you're really taking advantage of, or maybe taking advantage of is the wrong word, but I think it is. It is the right right way of putting it you've highlighted where people have had issues particularly around you know the covid and so you've had your products like swap and things like that that have 
not um, seek to exploit anything, but but realise that people have problems, um, and we need to look at things in a new way. And you've really you really come up with some uh, novel and interesting solutions to to make that happen. I think that's because you've been able to turn that around so quickly. Is it, do you think that's a major part of the success of what you've been able to do? It's massive. That that stop and pivot, and that um, oddly at the same time as having a little bit of patience and been able to do that stop and think. Um, so it was one thing reacting to things that people need to fit this new COVID world and safe working environment. What we actually did was a bit of a stop and think and go, yeah, we can do that quite quickly, but what are all these other things that we've tried to fix for the last decade and couldn't because they couldn't get enough attention, couldn't get a budget? If we can fix those at the same time, use the COVID world as the catalyst to fix those things and put them in place. Um, you know, in change management, we talk a lot about keeping people in that change native state because that's mm. when things really happen quick and we haven't had to do that the the pandemic has forced people to be change native you know so how else do we maximize that that opportunity so yes it is a bit of opportunism exploitation however you want to put it but it's but it's for the good of the business you know we're, we're putting things in place that will will definitely outlive um the needs of the pandemic but then we went a step further again and go well, okay how do we also prep it for what they might need in the next few years ignoring the pandemic uh, and then that's kind of grown to most of the software we're creating become foundation platforms for everything from payroll to um, job management, contractor management, health and safety, um, snagging, IT help. That all these things are getting built into what we're building. That you know, five years ago would have been a, a bespoke from scratch system per business, yeah. and it would be a really tough sell. Is now it fixes this problem right now? It fixes some old problems. Um, but by the way, look at this. This is where it's, this is how everybody else is using it, and you can fix these new ones you might not have yet. And that's been certainly an eye opener for me. Is the way that you engage with every client in um, very much a, not trying to say you need this solution, but more of a we've got this um, portfolio of solutions. Say, or oh, this is what other people have done. This is how other people are using it. Is this any good to you? Mm. Um, and allowed them to basically take you on a journey. Um, which I find has been um, a really fascinating way, which which I haven't seen before. So that that's that's a really quite a clever approach. But yeah. for you, but for you, it just seems business as usual. It's kind of the way we've always done it because we're entirely a relationship business, which sounds a bit odd when you think we're just tech, but it's not. It's always relationships, and mm. we very quickly want to get to understanding their business to to sit almost on their side of the table as quickly as possible, not just to discount what we know they don't need because it's a waste of both of our times, you know? Yeah. But to actually get to those good bits and then just, you know, you don't know them that well yet, so you, you can't tell them what to do. That'd be rude, you know? So it genuinely is about, these are the things I think have got relevant value to you. How would you see it? How would you use it? How would you join those dots together? And it's a good, honest, engaging conversation. Cool. And actually, it becomes the beginning of forming a spec. Yeah, yeah, yes. And But, but everybody bought in together. Yeah. Um, which is... You know, it sounds, I don't know, it sounds a really obvious thing it to does, say. It does, it does. It's obvious to us. It's how we've always done the projects, yeah. websites before this, you know, it's the same. And it, and, it, and it should be, but it just seems a welcome um, um, a welcome new way of doing things that it, it shouldn't be really, but like you say, um, it's it makes your USP, I guess, to, to a great, greater or lesser extent. Um, you've been working through COVID-19. Um, you know, it, it, it's happened. Um, have you learned anything about yourself? about work, working through COVID or has it been, um, you know, have you been happy with the way that you work? Because you've always worked in a sort of like a, a tech-focused way. But have you learned anything about yourself along the journey? Uh, I think that, I think before, if you'd have said to me we were going to recruit this many people in a short period of time, I'd have gone, no chance, that's scary. Mm. I've not actually stopped to think about it. We've just done it. Yeah. So, and, and we've got 
even bigger plans for next year. So I think what I've learned about myself is where I thought there might be a bit of fear and I'm happy to tread water actually doesn't exist at all. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I thought I might be a bit more... If, if you'd have asked me in advance, I'd have gone, no, I'm a quite risk averse with that. We need to be slow and steady. And, and But now it's... No, I'm definitely not that. Yeah. Which has actually quite surprised me and frightened the wife a little bit. <laughs> and I think probably everybody else around you. Um, right, we're going to take a quick break, but then we'll be right back and looking at the basic statistics um, and, and our own opinions. So we'll be right back after this. You are listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. We wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you for your support. You can help further by rating us through your podcast provider, sharing us through social media, and telling your friends and colleagues. Let's work together in raising awareness of the value in putting users at the center of what we do. And welcome back. I'm here with Joe Polson, the Managing Director of Vindico, and we're looking at, well, I was going to say we're looking at 2021. We're not. We're actually looking at all of the episodes that have happened uh, to date. Next year, we'll try and I'll be a bit more um, religious about it and actually look at the, um, the, the 2022, 2022 episodes. But to start off with, we're going to look at some of the uh, statistics. And to start off with, it's, I was quite blown away by the number of countries that are listening to this podcast. So... We're actually listened to in 69 different countries around the world, which some of them are, um, I guess, quite obvious. The UK is, is, isn't is number one. But even in places like Azerbaijan, Honduras, Indonesia, Mali, we've got a um, a small but select listening, uh, listening audience. So welcome to you all from around the world. Um, but in, ter- in terms of the top 10 um, numbers at, at 10 we've got uh, we've got France we've got Colombia Sweden Ireland Singapore Germany Canada Australia United States and obviously like I said the United Kingdom um, but we can also look around the the different spread of um, of where people are listening as well so um, Joe at a rough guess uh, which do you think that is the top US state that is um, that listens to us and I guess I'd, I'd say it's Gotta be California. Well, the you know clearly everybody in Facebook and um, and all that is we are clearly on the cutting edge of the, of their listening. Um, but the so there's some of the other interesting ones that are uh, that are there. So I mean, tech, we've got quite a high um, listening in Texas, um, and and then Washington, New Jersey, and and all them sort of places. So um, it's really interesting to see uh, to see that that going on. Um, but what surprised me more than anything else was actually in the UK um, was our was the top listening counties, and so at number one, um, I sort of expected you know either Carmarthenshire, given that we live in Carmarthenshire, or Cumbria because I'm from Cumbria and we spent a fair bit of time in Cumbria. But Surrey comes out as number one, so there's clearly a lot of things going on in Surrey that are, that are human factors based. Because um, then number four is is Bristol, and then we've got sort of Nottingham, Kent, Oxfordshire, Hampshire, Birmingham, and Gloucestershire. So We've got quite a, a broad spread, um, so it'll be interesting to see if next year um, how that changes. So we'll now that I've got all these in a, in a spreadsheet because I do like a good spreadsheet. We'll compare again, compare this year with uh, with next year and see where we get to. I think you'd leaflet drop a county and see what happens. That could be quite expensive, but fun. Yeah. A road trip. I think so. I think we could have a. Um, you'd have graphicked up car and just park it somewhere. <gasps> see what happens on the stats oh yeah that would be so decent oh well if 
if we go, surely then that, that means you just got to go a van. Yeah. Or something with a big side and just go on tour. In fact... Free t-shirt when you tweet the van. If we could get so... Yeah. So what, what's that um, that film where... They, oh, is it Chef? Do you, do you ever see that? So Chef, they have a... Um, oh, basically one of the Yeah, so they, yeah. and they go driving go, uh, go drive around and... The and videos. Yeah. Um, the Or oh, Vine. What, whatever happened to Vine? Um, the Most good ideas get shut down and stopped nowadays. Yes. But the I think I think we should have a bit of a um, a twelve or two road trip around the UK and and any excuse for two weeks off and just generally going a good drive around. Um, so let's um, let's talk about let's t- let's talk about you. Um, we've both selected five of our uh, favorite episodes out of all of the thirty. What did I say? Thirty eight, thirty nine episodes that have been done so far. Although I think yeah. one of them is a trailer, so that doesn't really count. Um, and, and so we're going to go um, and. Basically, count down. I think, and I think there's only one that we've both chosen. Uh, we've both chosen each. So uh, that that's that shows that there's a really good um, um, difference in why why we're choosing stuff. So, what is your number five? Uh, my number five is actually your first one. Oh, I think I think I, do you know what? I, that, I know, that's like the worst one, isn't it? No, I know it was it was short, you know, but that was pretty much apart from being in a room and or listening to you talk on the phone. The first time I've been by myself trying to learn something about HF, <laughs> Fair you know, but it yeah, was quick. Yeah. So I actually got to like listen, take it in, and um, you know, there was, there was no engagement needed from me. You know, yeah, so yeah, I could yeah. Literally, yeah. just listen. Yeah, you know? and um, so I, I, I quite enjoyed that, and I think um, uh, particularly around the case shoes, and you were explaining what, why the twelve or two era was there. Yeah, I think the the, the whole um, uh, the, the whole moon mission is probably. If you were to pick one project in the history of humans, like you know, pyramids or whatnot, a bit boring. There's no electricity. Yet. <laughs> but, you know, if you were to pick one project, you'd say would be the coolest project to go and even just be a fly in the wall of it. Would be that yeah. one. You know, there's nothing else that's come close to it since. In terms of, you know, we had never. We got the timing of it, and you talked about it in the podcast. The, the Cold War, the you know, money no object. We this is what we need to do. Don't care how we do it. We get there. You know, and it's that's you don't. You're not going to get that again. You know? No, I mean, uh, for somebody to set such such a challenge, mm. but for everybody to to step up to that challenge as well, I was always blown away by. There's um, is there an interview or a quote or something where somebody quite senior and it might have been the president. I'm not entirely sure, but goes to NASA and he um, runs into one of the cleaners and says to the cleaner, "Also, um, oh, what, what is it you do here?" He goes, "Well, sir, I'm putting a rocket on the moon." You know, and everybody was just bought in around that mission. Everybody knew that they had a part to play and, and cracked on with it. So when it came out that I wanted to start the podcast and actually do something, and now you're sort of sitting there going, right, what should I call it? And there's there's already some really good Human Factors podcasts out there, and they've got names like Human Factors Podcast um, and things like that. And you, you want you want to do something a bit different. You want to do um, create a bit of a um, bit of a brand, but also you can't go too far off piece, otherwise you sound like a complete nutcase. Um, but when I learned more about it, it was actually through a, um, I think it was a BBC podcast around the the lunar landings, and they came up around this the, this whole episode around the twelve oh two era, and you're just sitting there going, "This is perfect. This is absolutely it. it. It ticks all my boxes of a being quite cool, a little bit geeky, and all about space, um, which is a particular fetish of mine." Um, which that leads us quite nicely into what my number five was. And, and I know it's in your list as well, but um, mine's it for, for different reasons. Well, I think it's different reasons. Um, so mine was the when I interviewed um, Human Factors in NASA. And so that was talking to the HF team on the Orion program. And this is in my top five for, I guess, probably more for production reasons as well as the content that we got. So when I 
I spent a fair bit of time just contacting, I've got to be honest, random random people. And I've emailed NASA a couple of times saying, um, look, I, I run a, a small uh, podcast here in the UK. Can I talk to some of your people, please? You know, and if you start emailing and tweeting people randomly like that, you don't really get that much of a response. Um, but then I found some contact um, contact addresses on the Orion program itself. And the Orion program has always had a fascination for me around, you know, the journey to Mars and, and all that sort of stuff. And there was then one day I got this email through um, that had the, the NASA um, uh, email address in it. And I was like, I was like, oh, is this a restraining order? Is this me about to... And it was actually them come back saying, actually, this sounds really interesting. We can put some, we can put a team together. We, you know, um, we can make it happen. And all. And I was literally bouncing around the hallway um, and shouting like a loon. So I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. And and it was just a fascinating thing to do. And also to talk to a bunch of people who were um, the, you know, the scale of their program, the the type of things they're doing, the, the sort of things that um, the roles and opportunities that they have. And I was talking to some of them um, off camera as well, outside of the interview. And so the, some of the things that they, um, they they would get up to, you're just sitting there going, that's just amazing. I want to go there tomorrow and make that happen. Um, but to be able to capture that and actually capture it in such a... Um, in such a way that we can um, exploit it, share them so, them stories with other people. Because the uh, human factors in the US, is, I think, is, st- is still very different from the UK. It's on, I guess, as it, everything we do in the States, it's bigger. Um, and it, it's such, it's just a very different uh, very different concept. So I think we'll be talking more about that in, in, uh, in, in a couple of um, episodes' time. So let's go and hit your number four. What's your number four? So my number four is the interview with Grant Hudson, the nuclear option. Oh yeah, and it, so, it, it was great. That I means obviously, in, um, since watching the show Chernobyl, uh, <laughs> I, I knew I was going to enjoy listening to this one, and I'm glad you brought. It, I found time to bring it up in there as well. But I, what I really enjoyed about this one was his story before you started talking really about nuclear. Right. Um, okay. That I mean, I, I don't know the chap. I'd happily have a beer with him. Fascinating because he could write a book on how he got to nuclear, let alone you know the path he took. And everybody, he yeah. almost accidentally stumbled into HF and. A little bit the way we did, but with uh, clearly with knobs on, and, and and took that route and involved in multiple sectors before he got there. Um, but it was great to see that angle on it, and then you know bringing together psychology, tech, ergonomics, all that in that bundle. It was felt like the most in depth conversation around HF, just that career path, how he got there, it kind of all made sense. Yeah. And then, and then to hear his take on um, the companies work with, how they've taken on HF, you know, and how. You know, let's be honest. How he's almost got to slip some of it under the radar yeah. because he's dealing with people so stringent and stuck in the ways, and it could be engineers, could be whoever, and they're doing things they've always done. Um, and how he's almost had to um, slip it in there. They don't, so they actually even don't know it's a human factors. Uh, and that kind of adoption, and I could, I could relate to that a lot. Yes, in terms of how we attack some problem solvers, how we've got to do change. You know, any kind of change management. You know, and it's. I found that very relatable, even though a completely different path to us. Mm. Um, Grant, Grant, careful approach. Yeah, Grant is um, somebody that everybody needs to meet. Is um, so my first civilian job was was with Grant, um, and I was working alongside him, and it was it, it was an education on on many levels. Um, but yeah, is and it, hopefully we can convince him to come to conferences or you know, but. It's it's almost a shame actually that uh, well it is a shame with the whole COVID situation coming on because if it hadn't been then we'd have easily met up before now um, all of us together because um, 
yes, he's he's very he's very knowledgeable, very um, very good at his job. Also likes a drink, yes, so, so which so. which is which is very much our sort of people. And I love that he said that the Chernobyl show was ninety eight to ninety nine percent accurate. <laughs> Chef yes, wise. It was a, yes. You almost want to watch it again, you know. Yes. Um, but again, interesting now when he talks about HF and the HF issues effect that led to it all. Interesting. I mean, you wouldn't think that from you know that, that that's from the top. It's from yeah. the top. Everybody did what they were supposed to do. Everybody did what they were told to do. You know, almost. You know? Yes. So yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. necessarily the kind of end level processes and then in human error at that stage. It was the that it made me realise then that HF actually goes further up. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's that whole pushing it into um, into the hierarchy, and yeah. and also if you if you got somebody at the seat uh, in a senior position saying do this, then why wouldn't you do that? You know, it takes yeah. a it takes a particular type of person to be able to say, and a particularly empowered person, I think, to sort of turn around and say, "Whoa, hold on a second. It's the, the regime as well, obviously, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole thing is still um, a lesson in communication, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with anything as, as that is technical, I mean, a, a nuclear power plant is. is Possibly one of the most technical things. Um, some would disagree. That there's different out there, but in terms of impact and output, um, it is just something else. And to have to think that it just sits in isolation. You've got culture. You've got people. People's behaviour. It all sits around it, and you, you just permeates it. You can't get away from it. Before we go on to your number four, one yeah. last thing. When he decides to make that washing machine, I want to help because I completely agree. <laughs> Can we please yeah. add microwaves, tumble dryers? You're about you to know, mention your oven, aren't you? I, I, I'm not going to mention. Do you know oh, you're not going to mention the domain the renewal. Oven. I had the email for the domain renewal when I was writing my notes for this. Oh well, there and we I was go. Like, I need to do that, but yeah, he needs to hear about my oven invention, doesn't he? Yes. It? So um, keep a watching eye out for a oven invention that we won't talk about um, because it's going to come and take the world by storm. It is. Um, so my number four was actually a very recent one. Um, is around the um, ergonomics conference for next year. So that was an interview with Nora Balfe and David Golightly. And for me, that was um, really interesting because one thing this podcast has given me a license to do is to randomly contact people and say, I think what you're doing is interesting. I think um, other people will find it interesting. But actually, it's a crowbar for me to sort of think, I don't know how you do that. Um, can I find out more by you telling me? Um and so it's kind of an arrogant approach, but I figure it gives me license to do so. And to be fair to both Nora and David, they were very, very open and free with the time to be able to turn around because I put com- uh, papers into conferences before, but never really known what's going on behind the scenes. So, you know, the, there's an awful lot of work. You kind of think with uh, with these conferences that, you know, you get a couple of papers in, you have a look through, yeah, that's good, that's bad, that's good. Oh, I like that one. That's a bit cool. Um, you know, maybe give them a bit of a grading and this, that and the other. And then you put together a program and think, cool, you chuck people in a hotel, make sure the bar's well stocked and, and, and provide a projector. How hard can it be? Turns out, very um, with all the stuff they've got to think of, and that's even before COVID, um, you know, be, beforehand, you know, you've got to get all these different things in, you've got to make sure that everybody's happy, you play to the right people's egos, all that sort of stuff. Um, and what they're trying to do this year, so the, um, this is Nora's first year, but David um, has, has helped organise the ones in the past, and they've done things, so the, the last two of them have been online, so that's had, had its own challenges, but they've really adapted well to that and make that work, but even previous ones, where there's been not only the conference bits, but there's been the uh, the evening entertainment, and um, and that was more of a quiz, just in case people are thinking, thinking there were strippers, um, and and things like that. So, yeah, it was really interesting to to see, you know, what what sort of things they've got to balance because they were having to balance things like, um, you know, what themes do they want to put on, but actually they couldn't be too rigid in the themes because if something else came along that was interesting, so yeah, that was that was 
quite um, from a geeky. Um, how do how do you organise that sort of thing? For me, that that was quite cool. So, your number three. Well, my number three is your number five. So I I've got NASA here, um, and pretty much the main reason it's in my top five is just because it's really cool. Yeah, I excited you were with the email. I got equally excited wondering if they need you know a little tech company to help them out, and we'd be there like them. Um, yes, but no, it was really cool. I think, but but what I really what I got from apart from you know being in awe of your podcast awesomeness for getting nasa on there <laughs> was uh i'd been by then about involved you for a year and a bit um i've met other hf agencies through you uh, we've been to a few events we've met them so can i i've got a rough idea of the scale of the industry in the uk mm. the size of the teams and that was like hearing about their team there was pretty much like looking in the future right yeah you know they they are ahead and they are well ahead um they're clearly better funded um, but it shows that there's a need for that. You know, that yeah. the, they perform a really, really important function. That, and you know, I can say this because I'm not officially in your sector. That, that maybe doesn't have the, the respect it deserves here yet. You know, yeah. maybe isn't taken as seriously as it is yet. It's key, clearly key because of the resource they're putting into it. And then yeah. you hear the size of the teams. I seventy odd. I think from memory was in the team. I can't remember how it was. But it, was big. it was big, and that was only in their building. Exactly. They had like yet that, another one. Exactly it was mad. that building, and then. Um, you know, most HF practitioners here are, are one or two people. Yeah, you know, and there is a few teams within you know BAE and whatnot, but they're they're not massive, massive, are they? Not not on that scale. No, I mean the the biggest team was um, I think it's the lazy um, up in Barrow, and that's I think that's thirty strong now, and that is, that is the largest team in in the UK. Then the second one is down at Abbeywood, um, where I think they've got fifteen twenty people. They might have more. Um, they're not they're not doing rockets, are they? It's not as cool. Well, this is something well, different that, types of rockets. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is one of the things I think that the UK needs to step up with. Quite frankly, um, I know we're doing the stuff in in Chatland, and the, and there's, there is stuff going on that I'm, I'm desperately trying to get into. Hint, hint. Um, but there is. Um, yeah, we need we need to get into the space. I mean, we do an awful lot of work around satellites and stuff like that, but that's not as cool as well. It is cool, but it's not as cool as strapping yourself in and 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 pressing go. Um, I want to see a go button from the UK. I but think it, be it epic. did give me that sense of excitement about where your sector's going. Yeah, I think the that's what I really liked. It was like that's almost the potential. Yeah, you know, and it's not even like an unknown path you've got to plow yourself now. It's there. You know, even yes. halfway there would be you know a lot better than now wouldn't it yeah i think the i mean the, it's like we sort of said before isn't it the the usa tends to do things bigger hmm. um and it is a more it's developed bigger. and their relationship with ux as well is um is is getting much more refined um because they do have things like um you know uh, user experience researchers your experience uh, ux designers and things like that where we generally have you kind you know a lot of people are kind of a jack of multiple trades um, so, you know, from my perspective, I do everything from UX design all the way through to um, human factors integration, product management, all that sort of stuff. Whereas over there, you'll have people who are probably a much more specialist in, in single sub-disciplines, which is just because of the size. It's, um, it's the been camp. the same here in our sector. You know, five years ago, there wasn't a massive separation in, in that you were a massive company between back-end and front-end. You know, yeah, and there definitely yeah. wasn't user experience that was given to whoever did the social feed. Yeah, you know, if <laughs> yes. they know how to use Twitter, they'll know our user journeys. You know, and that kind of talk. It's only in the last, really, in the last five years that's been tightened down more with us, and you're getting that separation, and and those requirements are given that respect, and then obviously given that funding, and uh, we seat the table to make that work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's clearly going to keep going in there with um with with all the other technologies that are coming along. Yeah. 
So that actually that does take me along along quite nicely to my number three because uh, my number three is talk, it was meant to be a discussion around virtual reality, augmented reality, and extended reality with inhuman factors, and that was with Professor Bob Stone. And for anybody who is aware of uh, Bob on um, on LinkedIn in particular, he, he's not exactly backward in coming forward. Um, if you post anything on VR um, in whatever sort of flavour. Um, if it isn't good or he thinks that you're maybe exaggerating slightly or something like that, he will tell you and he'll tell everybody else. And um, he's he's very, very, very forward in that respect. But what I really quite liked was is uh, he's got such a depth of experience. He's not somebody who's sitting there and just trying to put himself in front of in front of everybody and to say I'm the best. What he hasn't done in this field just really isn't worth doing. The sort of stuff that we're doing now, he was still th- he was thinking about years ago, and he can bring out the pictures and stuff of him holding all that sort of stuff. It was such an insight into sort of showing a, I guess how far things have come into in it's particularly in the VR and, and AR field of how how far things have come, but also how far things haven't come. That we're still the technology is only sort of catching up with people's aspirations um, and the sort of stuff we could do in a really clunky way years ago. Um, we are, we're only doing smooth or se- sort of semi-smoothly now and and we've still got a long way to go to sort of meet, well, meet Bob's expectations in terms of how this stuff should be in everyday life and, and things like that. But some of the projects he's done um, around visualising um, historical buildings, visualising... Um, you know, he's done work work on submarines around training using this type of stuff, and and he ha- he has promised in the future to come back because we did actually spend a fair bit of time talking about uh, previous projects because he's worked with a um, a lot of um, really interesting people and worked on lot, lots of really interesting projects, so he has promised to come back on and talk in more detail around um, uh, some of this stuff. So I'm quite looking forward to doing that in the in the new year. So um, we that takes us to number two. Who's your number two? My number two is when podcasts collide. Working from home tips with uh, ergonomist with, with Kirsty, Kirsty right. Angra. Yeah, and I think my, well, my number one and two are really in there because I, I think I found the most relevant value to them. Right. Yeah. Um. So obviously your pure HF review on your top five, whereas I, I really I've got to try and make it relevant to. Oh, me. absolutely. Yeah. And I think that the whole home working thing is obviously something not just that we've had to deal with firsthand, but it's we've had to help, you know, twenty, thirty, forty clients help set up as well yeah yeah Yeah. um and i think that what i really liked about it is that where we solely to start with we were focusing on technology because that's what the request was it was you know secure connections to work and if the phone can do this and and then it did expand to looking at the workplace um but not really behavior you know Mm -hmm. that that took a while to kick in and i think that's really what i pulled out um from kirsty that it was all about that kind of beyond the interaction with the environment um something as simple as adding structure to your day yeah, yeah. Because you know, we we've got time for a small anecdotal story, haven't we? I think. Well, of course we have. Yes. Okay, so I was in a um, was it Nicola Millard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. BT Innovation. BT. Yeah. So this isn't mine. So I'm going to pass this off, uh, Nicola. That I think you might have been on the call. Actually, yes, I was on the call. Ago, yeah. Uh, talking about something called the Inverness Project, which was I think around 1997, where they trialled home working up in Inverness because of the proximity to the exchange and the amount of staff members that lived near it. So back then it was ISDN. They had to dig up the gardens. Um, they connected everybody to work from home, uh, and we're talking now. They had teleconferencing, and that's what it was called then. Yeah, it was yeah, the size yeah. of a fridge, right? <laughs> so these people had these massive dot matrix printers going. You know, they had the full setup there yeah. um, to work from home, and they, I think they planned to do it for a year, 
I think. So, you know, maybe slightly inaccurate on some of these numbers, but I'm not going to be far off, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the first three months, productivity spiked. Everybody really happy. Great, work from home. This is wonderful. And it kind of plateaued over the next three to six months and then went off a cliff. And the, the main two reasons for it was um, struggling with work-life separation and always feeling like you're on call. Yeah. You know, and so you end up working more, working longer, always thinking about work. Fatigue was setting in, stress was increasing. And I don't think the project ever went its full period. I think it was stopped early. Mm. Um, I, I've retold that possibly slightly inaccurately. But, uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. But, but it's close enough. But I think it's, it's wonderful <laughs> that we knew that then. Yeah. And so then when we see this happening and working from home, and, and you know, let's be pre- perfectly honest, a lot of really short-sighted, selfish companies going, yeah, this is great, we don't have to pay rent anymore, yeah, we don't yeah. have to, we're not duty of care of anybody anymore, we don't need to pay all the insurances, they can do it all in their house, their phone bill, their electricity, you know, their fault if they trip over the cat. Um, and it, it, it was like, well, no, you've got, you have got a duty of care, you know, and even if it is a case of help them with schedule, help them with a separate place to set up, help them with habits um, to have that separation, that's still massively lacking in you know, a really high percentage of anybody working from home right now. Yeah, I, I do think there is um, a whole lot of scary stuff coming up um, around... I think, I think it's tip of iceberg as well, unfortunately. Yeah, because I, I think it's one of the things that, um, that uh, Kirsty sort of says as well is um, in... in in that, and we, we did that did that um, a while ago, um, sort of just after the start of the, the, the well, after the first lockdown, um, that as a company owner, and you own, you own your you own your own company, is the same way as I do. We have no, we can't go and um, intrude into people's personal homes. So in the office, we can provide ergonomic chairs, you know, decent desks, and you know, the, uh, something that is supportive and and stuff that I can look at and say, yes, I'm I'm looking after my team. You can't, um, you know, the desk is, is a decent size, so they can, if you like me, put all your rubbish everywhere and have three three coffee cups and all that sort of jazz um, without knocking everything over. Um, you can't do that in people's homes. If, if they table. Well, yeah. Um, the, the, the number of stories of people like working off ironing boards because somebody said at the beginning they were a great um, sit-stand mm. thing, which on the face of it is, is a short-term thing. Then, you know, maybe a couple of weeks or something like that. Yeah, okay, that, that's fine. Work at the dining room table for a couple of weeks. That's fine. We've all sort of done it. That, that's that's not a drama. But we're now two years in, and some people have still got them sort of setups, and you're like, no, you can't, you can't do well, that. You, sure. It's interesting you say we can't tell them what to do, but don't you think we need to do more than say um, anything you need, let us know? Because that's what well, I find myself doing to start with. Anything you need, let us know. Yeah. If they want a table and a chair, ask us. They need a different type of laptop, keyboard, lighting. We've gone as far as lighting. We've got um, air humidifiers. Anything they need, have. Yeah. But actually, in preparation for this chat tonight, when I was thinking of the things we were doing, it's like, I'm, I'm not sure now, because of the length of time that's gone off, that's enough. I think we where's the guide that I've given to the staff to say this is the best practice you know we need to put something in place so that every 90 minutes you get up out that chair and you go for a wee stroll yeah you know whether it's go put a cup on whatever you know what 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 are we doing to protect the staff now other than saying let us know if you need anything or, yeah here's a, a, a chair and that, and that's it and they the you know there has been some guides produced CIH has produced quite a good guide but even then it's it's the we have to get into active management hmm. um and, but there is also the flip side as well of, you know, if, if I want to make sure that my member staff's got got the right chair um, or the right table, is, uh, but most modern houses either don't come with an office or come with a small pokey room. They're like, oh, that's an office. Hmm. And, um, well, you can't fit a normal-sized de- table chair in, in, in that type of thing. Um, so what right do we have to do it? So I th- I, this has got long long way to run. Yeah. And, and I think... 
Um, not everybody has the same attitude as yourself. Um, because well, you, this is what I'm saying. You can't control the environment specifically. Yeah. You can't say because so, that table won't fit, that chair won't fit. The ideal table and chair won't fit. Yes. But surely we can do it by behaviour then. Yeah, so that there is... By, you know, it's particularly then, you know, if, if you are in a small cramped space, yeah. you need to get up more, don't you? No, you do. And I think, um, you know, we, we have to be more proactive in pushing yeah. our employees to do that. Unfortunately, I don't... I think there's a possibly, let's just say, larger companies out there who, until they're legislatively required to do that then um then they possibly won't and that's where that that's where we'll struggle um and it's gonna i think touch wood um hopefully it wouldn't happen but i think it will we'll get to a point where somebody will have a, a work accident at home and that might be rsi it might be a bad posture bad back whatever whatever that is and then we'll get into legislation and people will be then going well why not? Where, where did that come from? I think it's, um, hap- it's happened already, but in an odd way. And I know I pretty, it might have been France. I, heard, I picked up on the radio yesterday where a chap had um, tripped over a cat on his way to work, but in his own house. Oh. And he successfully claimed under the work insurance because he was on his way to work in his own house. Now, I know that's not technically home working. No, but it's, but it's, it's still sort has, of... So where does the duty of care start? Is yeah. it you're on your way to work? You know? And he's, but it's been a successful claim. What do what are the other thing? So you talk about the on the way to work thing. One of the other thing that I think has been really quite interesting is the number of people I've spoken to who said um, you've been on you've been on a call and they said, "Oh, sorry, um, I, I was a bit late in starting." Early call said nine o'clock, um, eight nine o'clock, and they said, "I was on my way into work." And I was like, "But you're at home." So yeah, yeah, but I owe, I really value the commute, so I go and have a walk for thirty minutes beforehand so i go and walk around the block or i go and you know yeah. basically i go out and have that um well, that could be an important decom- routine that's that yeah time that's that you know and that that put potentially gives you that work-life separation bit there you know yeah you can understand that i mean i'm really lucky now that um i do have a sort of separation that um that i you know, we sat at the cabinet at the end of my garden and so i do have a, a short walk and i feel and i'll try and leave all of my work stuff out of the house, I try not to leave it in the house unless it's in a bag. It's, I, I try not to work in the house anymore um, to have that separation. Um, not everybody's as lucky, um, and you know it's it. Too, I found when I was working during lockdown, uh, lockdown one, because I was in the living room, I was constantly sat there going, looking over, going, "Oh, I could just finish that bit of work, or I could just do that," and I couldn't switch off from it. It, it was terrible, which is why then we we sort of started moving rooms around and stuff. The worst part for me is when you go to bed and you can't sleep and you get back up to work. Because yeah. you're thinking I could just go downstairs and do that now. I could just knock that off. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, just knock that out. Yeah. Oh, that one out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, which, it's, is, um, which is sl- nicely leaking into my number one, but it's not my turn yet. Yeah, I was going to say you just just hang yeah. fire. The, the last bit on this actually, the, this could a, have, we could have a whole podcast on this one. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, I think I, we. Are. I think the. I think I know we're saying wait for legislation. This that they are. I think, but the onus is on us as SMEs to push this out as as good habits, good behaviour to staff. No reason why we shouldn't. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, but, you know, it can be guided by, you know, advice from custody, HF, like yourself, you know. I'm well, sure you, may, you, maybe. Yeah, you need a guide. You need to put a guide out. There is a guide out. I'll send oh, it to a you. a better guide. Oh, okay, fair enough. Because that can't be a good guide if I've not seen it. Put something out that will be seen. Yeah, I might shared. just not have sent it to you. Anyway, um, we'll just gloss over that. Uh, maybe okay. we'll edit that out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's geared around but, habits, isn't it? It is yeah. like getting up and well, mobile. It is hydration. It is do something before you start work but doesn't just leave the kitchen. I think that's a good idea. You know, those things yeah. are good. Well, I mean, what I might try and do, and I might be promising things I can't deliver here, but I'll I'll contact Kirsty and see if we can, all three of us have a chat about it on, on a podcast episode and see where, you know, reflect on 
on that. Um, I might be putting her on the spot if she's look, listened to this and she might think it's the worst thing ever. But anyway, we'll, we'll take a risk. Well, apologies um, for only making number two, Kirsty, but we're still <laughs> the, um, the other The other thing to point out about this one is actually the whenever I interview somebody who does their own podcast, I always call it when podcasts collide. And Kirsty was the um, was the first person I um, engaged with at the time who was doing, who was doing this, that the bought this out. Um, and she was very generous with her hints and tips and, and advice on how to get my podca- podcast um, uh, to be of better quality. So from then on, every other podcast, everybody else that I interviewed who has a podcast, um, I put them into this series. So my number two was actually the one of the first, um, was the first remote interview I ever did. It was talking about in-service design with CCD, who've now just changed their name. And oh, for the life of me, I now can't remember what, what the um, what their new company name is. That's really bad on my behalf. Um, but that was um, a really uh, interesting interview, led largely by um, by or spearheaded by Chris Avis, who's um, works within the CIHF as well. And that taught me an awful lot, if nothing else about having multiple people doing recordings of, of what it is you're doing because they have they ha- have had um, a really cool um, studio setup and they recorded what we were doing at the same time as what I what I recorded and their quality of recording was just so much better than mine um, and so when at the end of it they were like oh do you, do you want a recording rather than your own and I was like oh, I'll be fine uh, yeah all right then go on then and um and so, so they sent me their recording, and then also when I then edit it to put out, I thought I got all the edits done because that was audio only, so I could go in and just slice out all my erms and ahs and and everything else. But I'd actually we'd had um, a dropout halfway through, and I thought I'd edited that out, and I was like, edit out, cut it, fine, but didn't go back and check. Um, and so that was a huge mistake when they sort of got in touch, and said, yeah, you put that live, well done, well done, with all the edits not done. I was like, oh, and so that was a really quick learning curve for me about how to take stuff, um, take stuff out, and, and make all that work. Um, but also, just there, the whole topic around in-service in-service design, and that's bringing in a lot of the um, human factors by almost by, again, almost by other means, but into in, into all the services they were talking about. So things like um, bits at Heathrow and, and and all that sort of stuff. So that was really quite cool. So now we come to your number one. What was your number one? My number one. Again, because of personal relevance, as well as enjoying the little HF link, was the fatigue risk management. So it was an interview with Sarah Booth. Oh, yes, and okay. really the yeah. essence of this was all around sleep. So I've been on my own journey with this in the last um, 12 months, actually working with uh, a previous guest of yours, Hex Elgado. Yeah. Um, and I have been, as I've just referred to, you know, that, that person that gets up and works till 4 o'clock in the morning because he yeah. can't get an idea out of his head. Um, it, it took a fair few months um, and heck, preaching the productivity of, of sleep, the, the better well-being of sleep, um, that I'd actually sleep less and have more energy potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, it was all over the place. I was going to bed anywhere between 1 and 4 a.m., getting up anywhere between 7 and 8 normally, and then cracking on with work. Never really feeling tired, Okay, um, which is what I thought at the time. Yeah. And uh, interestingly, we, we kept adjusting my sleep by half an hour at a time over the course of a few months to get to the point where I was down by 10 o'clock, asleep by half past 10 and getting up about half five. So I was sleeping okay. longer. Yeah. And then what I was finding towards the end of the day, I was getting tired. Okay. So I was having more sleep and being more tired. And so I was like, I'm not quite sure this is working, heck, you know, I check the instructions. And and he explained it to me perfectly. He says, oh, no, he says, 
you're only noticing you're tired now because you're actually awake in the morning. So before you were always tired. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it yeah. was like, because it did feel like this is an unusual sensation. I don't normally feel like this at the end of the day. Yeah. And it, and wanting to go to my bed. And he was like, basically, because I was in this state of sleep depravity, um, could function on it, probably not indefinitely, obviously. Um, we all know the studies and, and what it takes off your life. So getting it right was the right thing. But uh, So now I can actually listen to my body a bit more. So I, I know when I need sleep now, whereas before it was that I can power on, I'll walk till five, I'll walk through the night, I'll miss a night's sleep. I could do it, no problem. Yeah, yeah. I felt like no problem, but pretty much I think I was in a bit of a zombie state. And what's happened since is um, with this new lease of life, I've changed my working week. Um, I have, uh, I know apart from the last few weeks because it's been a bit crazy, Work. I work Monday to Thursday now. Okay. So it's a, I get um, four 10-hour shifts in, start earlier in the day, uh, and it's been really, really productive. It's been a bit, probably a bit of a shock to the staff because by the time they get in, I've done two hours and I've, I'm there with the tasks and the new ideas and everything's flying, kind of flying at them. So they hit the ground running very, very quickly now in the mornings. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it, it has definitely led to uh, an increase in my own capacity, mm-hmm. which is great now because then when I, now I've got that overflow of having to work the last few Fridays, it genuinely is like I'm getting another one or two days work done in a week, you know, which I can do. Um, but then, so seeing that relevance, that personal relevance, then the journey I've been on, and then listening to there and actually saying, okay, so it's not, I get the fact that it's okay, it's wellness for me, it's productivity personally for me, but actually, yes, that, that risk is there, you know, from yeah. a professional point of view on projects. Um, didn't really appreciate the, the risk I was not necessarily given to the clients directly because it's not that extreme. Yeah. But in terms, definitely in terms of productivity, definitely in terms of efficiency, definitely in terms of potentially missing an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I feel so much better for it. But then having that, uh, listen to Sarah talk, it kind of almost acted as that um, ROI almost on it. As that kind of, here's that, here's that piece of information that says why it's worth it as well. Yeah. So it's yeah. not just, I'm pretty sure it's right. I'm listening to heck. I'm pretty sure it's right. Oh yeah. All this kind of really makes sense. You know, and I'm actually I'm actually de-risking not just my life, but the productivity and professional output as well. No, there's there was a lot that Sarah went into. I mean, the the bit around pilots and stuff, and pilots have to have rest. You know, they they it's it's mandated. They have to have so much time in between flights and all that sort of stuff. But that whole piece around right, how do you force somebody to sleep? Because I don't. As soon as somebody says to you, but you know, I've been working with uh, with Heck as well, and as soon I have this inbuilt thing. As soon as somebody tells me to do something. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. That's really And so as soon as, you know, we sort of get into that whole, um, right, you need to go to sleep at 10 o'clock. Um, I was very, I'm very much of the, you know, lying in bed going, right, I should be asleep right now. I should be asleep. Why am I not asleep? Why? And you almost wake up more knackered um, because you've had that sort of stress. And all you might wake up early in the morning. And so I did that the other day where I knew I had to be, I had to be awake by five to be hit the road to go and do a, do a presentation in front of actual people. It was quite exciting. Um, but the, I woke up at four and I was like, I've got another hour. I can sleep for another hour. And then I'm lying there going, 45 minutes, 30 minutes. You're just a stubborn bugger as well, Mike. You've got yeah, to there, is, that. there is that. There is a bit of that as well. But you can sort of see how, you know, almost for... Um, for companies to try and look at that in terms of risk and, and try and mandate that sort of stuff. It, the way that she was talking about it was just really insightful. And actually, this um, that has been one of the most um, popular um, episodes as well in terms of people's feedback. And I think that's because, you know, everybody sleeps. It, everybody could relate to it. But sometimes so. it's about rest, not just sleep as well. Yeah. I mean, 
we work in our you know with this elite sports performance right where our offices are yep. and um they've actually brought in cuts now and it's interesting they, they are varying um when people but some players like it some players don't mm-hmm. um and some players like it at different times some want a wee nap in the morning after they've eaten and they get like 20 minutes in a dark room in a cup others um benefit and obviously they've got all the um analysis and the the um, strength conditioning people attached to this so they know it's pro- productive and some of the players really react well to having a sleep directly after training yeah yeah so they've been doing exercises with them so they're asleep within five minutes wow you know and i think there, there is the breathing exercise i think it's like tense your toes and tense your ankles and tense your knees and you, you up and down relaxes these things that that if you've got the discipline to see through i think will send you off yeah my problem is i i get bored and i overthink those things halfway through i genuinely have to be tired yeah, 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 yeah. So my my sleep's being controlled by exercising early in the morning. Yes, because then it generally does leave me less energy towards the end of the day, and 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 definitely a huge thing for me is not being eaten after tea time. Yes, yeah, the whole snacking yeah. and and all that sort of stuff as well. And yeah, it's so dawned on me this afternoon that um um I'm trying trying to control my caffeine intake, so I don't actually drink that much caffeine after after lunch. Um, well, it's like six seven hours at last, isn't it? Yeah, um, which was fine until I asked Leo to make me a cup of coffee this afternoon. He actually normally just make um, one in the um, in the pod, pod machine, but he made me a full on filter thing, and I drank that. Yeah, and so I'm not sleeping tonight. Um, no, that's really interesting. And uh, like I said, I think um, Sarah's is the one um, certainly from this year that everybody who I've spoken to has said, "Oh, that sleep one that that was I could relate to that." Um, um, People from the village, everybody from, like people from the village, all the way through to um, um, to other practitioners. Um, what I like as well, touching on again, because we come at this, I come at this from a different angle. Mm. Is the the ones that I've mentioned are all the ones I talk to people about the most as well. Okay, you know, oh, so you, it, yeah, promotion. Yes. I'm, exactly, I'm a fan exactly. of promotion, but it's the ones I found easiest to talk about because yeah. either personally or through um, Vindico that we can relate to entirely through customers, through um, whatever we're doing. But it, it's been, it hasn't felt like an HF conversation as much yes. as I use it to explain what HF is. Cause I, you know, still have to explain what HF is to 99% of people I meet. Um, still getting there myself. Uh, but, but these, those stories have been really good. You know, to fact that these are factors within, you know, yeah. and then they, they, even if they glass over as soon as I go NASA, they go really. And, and that's kind of it as well. It's the, it's the whole bit around, if you're trying to explain what it is, it's such... I mean, we have whole conferences, and I've been to conferences now for the best part of 20 years, that are still trying to argue about what the definition of human factors is. And, and the actual formal definitions are a bit bland, if I'm if I'm brutally honest, because they're, they're so... Because of what we do is just so all-encompassing. It can be um, anything to anybody, almost, because it, it's fundamentally about people. Anything that we interact with, quite I've got an excuse to get involved with. Um, and when you put it as simply as that, and they're like, well, literally anything... Um, it's yeah, it was like from, vague then, isn't it? it is, yeah, it's so vague because it could be a, a light switch. And I did have, I went for um, dinner with with somebody who said, "Oh, so it, it could be just a light switch." What well, you know, where's the ergonomics around a light switch in a sort of really demeaning, "I'm making you look stupid" type thing? And so then I bored them for about thirty minutes about all the different consider all the different HF considerations about the light switch, starting let's, from. Let's, let's not do a podcast on that one, Barry. Oh, it's really interesting though, because if you, why do you need a light switch in the first place? What exactly? <laughs> But for me, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but I do like the whole concept of, you know, if someone comes in and asks for a half-inch drill bit, they don't want a half-inch drill bit, they want a half-inch hole. Yes. And then what do they want the hole for and all that? That kind of thinking I yeah. love. Yeah. And that and that's kind of it. It's the And that's sort of the stuff that we do is take that one step back and say, right, 
why are you interested? Mm. Um, we will have a we we will have a, a chat in the in, in the future about when somebody asked me to uh, do a, a task analysis on a trench, but that's that is a future story for when it's actually allowed to be released. And when you're allowed to blow it up, yes. Um, but my number one was sort of on on a on a something going back to the space theme was actually uh, with Susan Buckle from the UK Space Agency, and this was really interesting because this was my first taste of um, having an interview around space. And Susan was was really interesting because I again just randomly emailed the UK Space Agency because don't we all? And it just happened to be that their media manager knew Susan, who was uh, at that time in within the marketing bit of UK Space Space Agency and worked with Tim Peake and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but she was a human factors practitioner and had spent time with ESA, the European Space Agency. And again, in the UK Space Agency, there are not many HF people at all. I think it's like one or two. ESA, the, you know, the, for the entirety of Europe, there's about eight. Um, and so going back to what you said about the whole comparison with NASA and stuff, it, it is just something else. But Susan really um, dived into not only the practicalities of ergonomics in space and that type of thing, but also give, give us a bit of an insight into, you know, how cultural behaviour and all that sort of fits into it as well. So, um, and also it was the one of the first ones I took on, took on tour. So I actually went to um, the UK, UK Space Agency offices and we I had to look a bit professional with kit and microphones and all that sort of stuff and make sure I wired everything up right and all that sort of stuff. And um, again, she, she was very gracious and let me just... Um, make well I, I did mess up a couple of things and she was like that's absolutely fine she'd done more of this stuff than I had so um yeah it was a great learning experience but also it was that that first taste of I could talk about space in a human factors realm and it was absolutely amazing so so there are t- there are both of our top fives and um, number one surprise well I think we what we'll try and do is we'll uh, make sure that they're all aware that it's um, it's come t-shirt. out but yeah we need we, we need to get some t-shirts yeah. done what we're gonna hopefully try and do though not try and let's not try and uh, um, over promise and under deliver but we when we get all the, the, the merch done then we want I want some specialist things done so either a t-shirt or a mug or something saying I've been interviewed on 12 or two the human practice podcast and if it's um, if we're interviewed by uh, if we're gonna use our initials just make sure my initial goes first Okay, yeah, yeah, no, that's not happening. <laughs> um, so, but then we've got to ask ourselves the, the, the question: Does the do the stats for the downloads match up with what our um, what our preferences are? And thankfully, they don't. So, otherwise, this would be really boring. Um, so, look at the total downloaded. Uh, so that includes everything that was played, everything that was downloaded um, ac- across the board. And the, the the top five looks like this. So at five was Deep Dive, which was human factors in diving with Gareth Locke, which is where um, Gareth was a chap I met a few years ago and at a human factors conference, and he said, I want to um, bring out the human factors within uh, deep sea diving. Um, and I was like, well, that's a bit niche. And, you, and in my mind, I'm going, you've got no chance. Um, if we can't get it like really well mandated in defence and all that sort of stuff, how are you going to bring that out in that? But um, I was really glad that I've had to uh, eat my words because this year he ran his first conference um, in human factors in diving, and it was it was fascinating. It's interesting. That was my number six. If I had a six, oh, okay, that that's cool. Six. I've always had a bit of a fascination with deep sea and underwater. Yeah, it's the diving is one of these things that I've always fancied giving, give, having a go at, just never got round to. And also, me in a, in in a wetsuit, it's it's not on anybody's list of things to see. Um, 
so number four, um, we've talked about it quite a lot, was human factors in NASA. Uh, but again, that was that was only number four. I thought that would have been more downloaded than, than it was. Number three was Just Culture, um, which was with James Hayton. And really what that was about was the whole culture around um, in companies and things like that of people being able to say when something's wrong. Uh, people being uh, not being worried about, um, um, about any um, recriminations or anything like that. And, and the way that um, James highlighted how, how he takes large and small companies through this journey of realising that they might have um, a culture that isn't to their benefit. And also, you know, what fundamentally, how do they reap the financial benefit? Because that's what, you know, bottom line for a lot of companies. Um, what does that actually mean? So that was at number three. And then at number two, we've talked about this quite a lot, fatigue risk management um, the, uh, with, with Sarah. And again, that, that was a really good one. But number one, um, was users and government digital strategy, which which was with uh, Lee Waters, and uh, member of the Senate. So really, what we went into there was around how do they do decision making within government, but also Lee at the time was um, was lead for digital, and so really getting to the getting to the point of how governments deal with uh, digital or maybe don't deal with digital. Um, and really, one of the I guess the highlights of that interview was, you know, I think Lee sort of admits himself he's, he doesn't know the full ins and outs of all the technology, but in many ways he doesn't care. He just wants the the results to be right, which um, can be which is really enlightening and infuriating, probably in equal parts. But there is um, it was really good to see that that sort of attitude, and you you sort of see the work that he's done from that from there on um, has led to the 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 growing and developing of I guess more digital knowledge within the Welsh government. So. I think he hears from from many channels and probably at the same time is the potential of things, you know, the potential yes. of AI, potential of machine learning, potential of IoT. Yes, you know, and I think he doesn't, you know, he knows enough to know the potential is probably real, uh, and it's a case of well, okay, how do we get it real? Quick, people, yes, get to it. Come on, how do we do this? Let's just get it real, and he wants to be that driver for that, which is entirely admirable and the right thing to do for his position. Yes, um, it's whether everybody else can keep up and, and deliver it, you know. Well, uh, and that's that, great that he's on the front pushing that. Yes, and it, it all need, it, it needs a champion, and it needs that continuing champion. Um, and I think it needs it across, you know, uh, Welsh government, it UK government as oh, well. It's, it's a, let's be fair; uh, it's a lesson for other other AMs and MPs, isn't it as well? Yes, yeah, because it it shows that you, if you're going to try and do things with, I guess, a positive attitude, then then things can happen, and people will come and talk to you, and and things like that. Um, but just stamping your foot demanding that it happens, then that's not really going to get you anywhere because you're not, you're not going to bring people on board. So, yeah, it was really interesting listening to listening to the um, the way he was trying to engage with people. It'd be quite cool, again, to have an, another um, refresh with um, him and his team around where he is now, you know, because that, that was... So if we did that around sort of May, June time next year, then it'll be interesting to see where he is sort of 12 months on with from where he was with that. Um so there were the top five just downloaded. So the, the um, complete downloaded um, from, how long is this podcast we've got now? This is the third year. Um, so the other thing we looked at, well, so a lot of them have been a lot out there a lot longer than, than others. So I tried to do a um, how many days they've been actually online divided by the number of, um, or so the, the number of views um, or downloads divided by the number of days that they've been up. And, and that gave me a different top five, which I was very excited by. Um, and so to sort of run through them, so this is where we had um, what we call Pushing the Boundaries of Human Factors, which was with Professor Paul Salmon. Um, so the thing about uh, Paul is, firstly, I've, I've interviewed him a couple of times on, on different platforms, but he comes from uh, the University of the Sunshine Coast, 
who doesn't want to be from the University of the Sunshine Coast? It just sounds amazing. Um, but Paul's been doing an awful lot around everything around transport, um, factors around transport, transport risk, AI. And it was him that actually introduced me to this idea of um, artificial general intelligence. Um, so it is more like the almost the, the commander data type approach of um, you don't just ask an AI specific thing and get a specific thing out, but the, the more inquisitive, being able to have a, a conversation or just a general question and it be able to uh, bring back from you know a breadth of information a breadth of data breadth of, breadth of knowledge um so stuff that you wouldn't necessarily expect it to so that that was really interesting um and then it four was public spaces and the aging population so that was uh, with professor charles musselwhite a lot of professors on this podcast we get a lot of professors it's quite good um but well, again you have to dumb it down a little bit now and again you know yeah, well, that's why I'm in here all the time, just to just to give it that set, that sense of reality. I can be um, real, you know. <laughs> um, and so, but this was quite again. This was um, a chap who's um, who's at uh, Abbey University, and basically just saw him on Twitter. He just released a book around um, aging populations and public spaces, and some of the stuff that we're interested in is around IoT and um, public spaces in in smart towns, smart um, and smart communities. I was like, that just sounds fat because. It sounds a really dumb thing to say, but we're going to get old, you know, in these spaces. And why don't we design for them? So knowing that we're going to be the future users of them. Um, and he, when I just sort of started reading some of the stuff he was doing, I was like, that's just obvious. Um, but number three was Conscious Design, which was um, an interview with Ian Peterman. Uh, so that was a chap in the States who's... Um, basically bought his own book out around conscious design about how you bring um, a broader range of thinking into into this sort of fits into that ergonomics piece particularly the climate ergonomic stuff that we've been working on about thinking of your supply chains about thinking about how things are going to get built just not what's going to get built and, and things like that um and number two was the ergonomics conference uh, with norman david that i mentioned earlier um and then finally uh, was actually most my most recent podcast which means it just basically flew off the uh, digital shelf and um, was CPD in 2021. So CPD is this idea that we do continuing professional development and and Fiona is the co-chair of uh, the the um, of the board that looks after um, all of your CPD in the CIHF. So um, it was really interesting to get her take on the stuff that we need to do. And, and again, it was that insight piece around what happens behind the scenes. You, you, you submit your stuff um, and it all... Um, and the stuff that happens in the background—it was quite enlightening just to just to get that view. So that takes us to the final section of of this interview. Um, interview I've done most of the talking, so I've enjoyed it. Um, so it's what we call the final three. So, Joe, what is your go-to book or paper or reference? It could be technical, or it could be fiction. Um, what What is the book that you keep on going back to time after time after time? What do you want both? Oh, go on then. Okay, so for complete hedonistic enjoyable pleasure good omens by terry pratchett and neil gaiman okay just um i first read it as a like 15 16 year old i must have read it 20 30 times since yeah she's my go-to comfort read okay you know wonderfully funny and imaginative you know terry pratchett's fantasy brain mixed with the wonderfully satirical dark mind of neil gaiman it's just a brilliant combo yeah just like to me it's a perfect story and book Uh, if anybody doesn't know it's about um the end of the world and the Antichrist being born, but a devil and an angel that have been best friends since whoever lost the flaming sword, they don't want it to happen, so they arrange for a mix-up at the hospital. Right, okay. Um, So this 
little innocent kid is is uh, being brought up by an angel for a gardener and a a black nun for a nanny, and whilst the Antichrist <laughs> is brought up in a council estate in like Sheffield or somewhere, you know. But it's um, it's, it's a wonderful tale and pure escapism. Cool. So, um, but in terms of aligned to, and there'd be no surprise to anybody that knows anything about Vindico and our brand, um, is a book called Purple Cow by Seth Godin. So he's a, a wonderful uh, marketing and communication and human being specialist almost. And um, the Purple Cow book uh, it, it refers to an experience we've all had where we're out in the countryside with the family and we're driving past a field of cows and somebody goes, cows. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you've passed the 15th field full of cows, no one says anything. But if you saw a purple cow, we'd still be talking about it today. Yeah. So don't, whatever you do, make it remarkable. So by definition, that is just something people will talk about. But put that into what you do, put that into your messaging, put that into your products, put that into the way you treat your staff, you know, make it remarkable, make it something people would want to talk about. And that's what we've built almost everything on, down to the hashtag and the branding. Cool. Okay, so if you could go back to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? Be nicer to your knees. (laughs) 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 Yeah, nicer to your knees and left ankles a bit, give me now in the cold. Uh, Do you know, I think... I know you can never, because obviously if you're in a good place in your path, you wouldn't really want to change it. You don't know what got you here. But really, I would say, don't waste time. Okay. Yeah, don't don't waste time. And don't put off the stuff that you're putting off because it's difficult or hard or awkward. Mm-hmm. You know, don't put that stuff off. Get it out of the way quick. Move on. Um, you will entirely be judged on how you deal with adversities, not by the adversities you actually create. Uh, it's how <laughs> yeah. you deal with them, yeah. you know. So it's how you deal with it, overcome, and the, and that's what people want to see. And I think um, it, it probably took me to my early thirties to really learn that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really the last decade that's been put into force. Where it's a, you know, so I'm not, I'm not entirely sure I've learned that yet. Yeah. Um, okay, so final one then. Um, who would you suggest we interview next? I've been mean, thinking about this as we've been talking and who I was going to recommend to start. It's now changed. Oh. It is. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to publicly say that you would have, be, have a wonderful guest and a wonderful conversation in the RFU's Head of Performance, Nigel Redmond. Okay. Okay. So we've um, liaised with Nigel over a few years. Um, previously in a role he had with the RFU, he then went off to become Head of Performance for British Swimming. Very successful in the Olympic Games. Um, and he's now back at the RFU um, and uh, well it, it, the whole performance you talk about I think you said was it CPDs mm-hmm. so there's, yep. a, there's a whole uh, IDPs in sport individual development programs yep. Yep. Um, and they have a wonderful task ahead of them not just from the actual player development uh, which would be very I'm sure you'll be speaking the same language there in terms of that but actually in the in the coaching as well Okay. Uh, so I suppose yep. the teaching element, isn't it? Uh, and he's got a big task ahead of him, and we're very much hoping to be uh, play a part in that ourselves as well. Uh, but I, I do think it'd be a fascinating conversation, and uh, what about uh, what there is to know about actual elite sport performance, he knows it all. You know? Cool. So I think he'd be one of the, the foremost people, probably globally, to speak to on it. Awesome. Well, in that case, I'll have to uh, steal your contact deal details from um, from you. And, I will happily um, and send an introduction. That'll be brilliant. As long as I get a t-shirt. Yes, we, we, th- there's been enough hints. We'll, uh, we'll we'll try and get some merch sorted out. Witnesses now, mind you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, only, only if I don't edit that, I don't think my editing skills are good enough. Anyway, um, so thank you very much for that. So just a reminder that to everybody that your CPD is due by the end of the year, and it is 
getting close to the end of the year and I still haven't done all mine yet. So we're all in the same boat, but we can get through it. You remember, you just need five bits of CPD um, uh, as a minimum um, to make that happen. Also, the quick reminder that the Ergonomics Conference deadline is coming up. Um, so for short papers on the 14th of January, I've just about sorted one out. So I'm hoping to get that submitted if, it, if we think it's good enough. And I'd just like to say a massive thank you to Joe for your time with us today. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, Joe, um, and talk about anything that you've talked about today or about anything purple, how would they do that? Uh, Twitter is an easy one. So I think my handle's on the screen. Uh, and mm-hmm. those that are listening, it's just Vindico Joe. Uh, easy to find online, obviously on LinkedIn, Joe Paulson, Vindico, Think Purple, any of those kind of things you can Google, Think Air, I'm quite easy to find. That's awesome. We'll make sure them details are on the um, on the guest section of the 1202 website as well. So just a reminder that if you're listening you or watching and you find this content useful or even enjoying it, then please do tell your, tell your friends and colleagues, help them find us, and nothing as good as your personal recommendation. Also, really nice if you could leave us a review and maybe even a five-star rating on your podcast directory of choice. That will go a long way to help others who are interested in human factors and ergonomics to find us in the directories. It only remains for me to say thank you for listening. Have yourself a fantastic Christmas, a new year. Stay safe, and we will see you in 2022. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you for listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can contact us on social media such as Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at 1202 Podcast. See you next time. And remember, it's more than just common sense.